Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us affirm the promise that the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Amen. Let, our, let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break all evil and sin that binds us. In the name of Jesus Christ, may in this place be cursed as before all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, phobia, depressions, deceitfulness, ignorance. All of this let it depart from the tents of your holy people and stand on the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness. May your saints be clothed in your salvation. Give us more from your Spirit, fill us with your Holy Spirit, and allow us to find your holy countenance. We thank you that this service is presented in your divine arms, and we ask you to continue to lead it with your uplifted and mighty hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. You may be seated. The book of Matthew, chapter 5. That you may be the sons of your Father in heaven, for he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And you, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Called to perfection. It is these words these thoughts that were given by our pastor, Brother Arkady. And this promised commandment is the inheritance of the saints of all time. And this commandment is addressed by Christ to his disciples. Therefore, those who do not accept the authority of the person sent by God have no relation whatsoever to the inheritance of this commandment and likely will never have a relation to it. We have stopped to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a person, expressed in the ability to clothe our essence into the holy or the selective love. Colossians chapter 3, verses 14 through 15, But above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Based on these words, the rule of the peace of God or the righteousness of God in our hearts is possible only upon the condition that the selective love of God will dwell in our hearts and we will be clothed in the selective love of God. The character of the selective love of God is presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture in the light of seven unearthly virtues. This is 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. Let us list them. This is virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly love, and love. Each individual virtue of the fruit of virtue contains the characteristics of all other virtues. Because they flow from one another, fulfill one another, strengthen one another, and are found in one another. These virtues are the moral perfections and standards that are inherent to the essence of God, and they can be given to us through Christ Jesus, which we must become enriched with. And we can enter 
into the inheritance of these virtues only by accepting the Holy Spirit as Lord and ruler of our life and the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. And through the inheritance of these great and precious promises, we are made partakers of God's essence, or we begin to meet the requirements to the, of the characteristics of God. And here are the words of Christ, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And these words become from the invisible to the visible sphere for us. If, of course, God will see these characteristics in us. And again, if we remember what we were, what we were able to learn about virtue, defined from those notes that we, for some time now, have been rereading and reading, that in the first component of virtue, we had to define with the source of good. The source of good is devil or God, or the source of good is. God and the source of evil is devil. And do we have the ability to find the narrow gates which on earth are presented by God's chosen remnant? A virtuous wife, a good wife, a wife of the bride of the Lamb, who is like Christ. And by finding these narrow gates, near gates of this church, God says that a person has the first component virtue, because it is specifically there where we are led to the second quality, knowledge. It is a knowledge where he is explained through the preached word, not what you consider good and not what you consider evil, but what, according to the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh, God calls evil and what he calls good. And despite the fact that knowledge is expressed in the second step, the wisdom, wisdom begins from finding the church. Pay attention. God created the light, the sun, not in the first day, but the fourth day. But in the first day, he created light. The sun, he created on the fourth day. The earth was without form and void, and God said, let there be light. What was this invisible light consisting of? It was in finding narrow gates. I found them. I, thanks to God, found them. But I don't know what good and what evil is. We need to wait. And we will come to the fourth day where the the sun will come and the moon, and the sun will show what is good and what is evil. And this is going to be in knowledge. After we hear what good and evil is, we then make the next step that is called self-control, where we are told now, we must look at what God views as good and reject in our life all of that which God calls evil. The fourth quality, patience, comes to help us. Now we are going to wait for what, what we have hoped for in the invisible sphere. We will wait for what God calls good and we will wait for it together. Then comes godliness. Continue to be sanctified and not forget about sanctification, thinking that if you sanctify yourself that you can forget about sanctification. Godliness will never allow us to forget about sanctification so that we can hold on to our dedication and all of these characteristics around us and will not depart from me. All these characteristics, with all these characteristics, we enter into brotherly love. In brotherly love, we go from death to life because we love our brethren. And going from death to life, we are offered to enter into the throne of God's love, agape, where our coronation occurs. Therefore, the selective love of God expressed in these seven dignities and characteristics has nothing in common with human love that is filled with ignorance selfishness, and inconsistency.
And apart from the tolerant and selfish love of man, the unconditional selective love of God differs in that it carries the all-consuming zeal of God, His omnipotence, and His absolute wisdom that is impossible to use for selfish and ignorant reasons. It is the fruit of the selective love of God, agape, contained in the format of seven virtues, that is called to reign the resurrection of Christ in our bodies, having destroyed the old man, and to clothe our bodies in the resurrection of Christ in the face of our new man. And so we needed to answer four questions. What scripture tells us about the origin, about the essence of brotherly love? We are talking about the sixth quality, brotherly love, which we are called to demonstrate in our faith. Second, what purpose is the love of God, agape, that flows from brotherly love, called to fulfill in the demonstration of it in our faith? What conditions are necessary to fill for us to receive the power to demonstrate brotherly love in our faith? And fourth, by what signs should we test ourselves for the presence of the love of God, agape, which flows out of brotherly love and so the third question what conditions do we need to fulfill to receive the ability to demonstrate in our faith the format of God's love that is found that is found in the atmosphere of brotherly love what conditions do we need to fulfill how much does this cost these conditions they have a specific price and all of these conditions are tied to a certain price that we need to pay and the first component with which Christians are met with children of God when they want to pay the price and say, well, how much will brotherly love cost? Here, I see it on the shelf. How much will it cost? Are they ready to look at it and to pay the price? And we turn it around and we see that the first price or the first condition that allows us to demonstrate the power of brotherly love is a structure of the order of the kingdom of heaven. It is necessary to acknowledge the order of God and to see the order of God everywhere. God has shown His order in all of His creation. He had shown it in the balance of the clouds, in the harmony of the planets, how they uh, work with one another. He saw the order in the church of God, the order of praise and worship, the order that exists and how we must take off our old man. The order of God exists and how we must be clothed into the new man. The order of God exists in us. And despite the fact that we have a spirit, soul, and body, in all of these instances, in all of these departments, we must have complete divine order. And when we in each department have order, then they begin to act together mutually with one another. If there is no order, all of these three kings, these three departments are going to be at war with one another. And this was the first price. We needed to define and pay the price of the order of the kingdom of heaven within ourselves. The second component that we had stopped to talk about, giving us the right to demonstrate the power of brotherly love and the atmosphere of brotherly love, is defined in the ability to carry relations with one another in the boundaries of the covenant of salt, which in practice means to demonstrate brotherly love and holiness. Again, the next price, this is to demonstrate brotherly love in holiness. Mark 9, 49-50 For everyone will be seasoned with salt, and every salt and everyone will be seasoned with fire. Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. 
and it's an interesting phrase that under be seasoned this means to be sanctified to be separated to be sanctified means to be separated to be sanctified with salt after which we with fire are separated with salt we will be sanctified we will be able to con- to stall decay and then through fire he is going to allow us to help us to destroy the old man in our essence but there won't be this fire without this salt this seasoning with salt because salt it withholds and fire it destroys and therefore we need to answer four questions what does scripture say about the essence of the fruit of of virtue that comes from brotherly love and the functions of the covenant of salt Again, we're talking about the covenant of blood, salt, after which we come to the covenant of rest. Second, what is the purpose of the holiness of the love of God that comes from the atmosphere brotherly love called to fulfill in the functions of the covenant of salt? Third, what price must we pay in order to demonstrate the fruit of virtue in the demonstration of brotherly love that finds itself in the covenant of salt? And by what signs should we test ourselves for the presence of the fact that we truly show in relations with one another the fruit of holiness in the functions of the covenant of salt. All of this, take a look here, pastor tells us about the covenant of salt. Here, where the righteousness of Jesus Christ begins through the covenant of salt, it begins to be manifested in the children of God. And so in a certain format, we have already looked at the definition of the first one, the component of holiness. Therefore, we will look at its purposes. But before we looked at its purposes of this holiness that dwells in the covenant of salt, we will remember of the components of the holiness of God, its definition in the covenant of salt where we are met with it and then we'll talk about the purpose why we need it but first where do we meet this holiness this holiness that is found in the covenant of salt in the covenant of blood is the holiness of god there we receive holiness as those who are born of god as children of god but our actions are not yet holy unto god but in the covenant of salt we begin to manifest holiness we begin to uh, see it in our thoughts our words our actions our what we wear in our relations with one another and other things we begin to see the holiness of god jesus begins to manifest in us where in the covenant of blood no there we are born our actions are not yet coinciding with the covenant of salt but to the covenant of salt we begin likened in our actions we begin likened to the heavenly father and so the definition where do we find this holiness first the holiness of god is defined in our heart as the essence of god in our heart so it discovers god in ourselves the holiness of a person in a relationship with the holy God is determined by the identification of his origin from the holy seed of the word of truth, relating us to the lineage of the holy God, making us able to be sanctified and practice righteousness. Revelation 22, verses 11. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. And take a look here. Here, we are talking about christian people who are sanctifying but what is unique in this he who is unjust let him be unjust still he is he sanctified if he doesn't know what he is doing 
He thinks that he is righteous and practicing righteousness, and he is holy who is being sanctified. This is talking about people who are present in one and the same church. And all think that they are sanctifying, and all think that they are practicing righteousness. But then why does God define define them differently? If we are born from the holy seed of the word of truth, from truth, and this truth dwells in us, then this relates us to the lineage of the holy God and makes us able to be sanctified and create and practice righteousness. This truth through which we were born, if we keep it in ourselves, it will allow us to practice righteousness. If I am found, though, in a religious midst and every preacher tells or speaks whatever comes to his mind and there is no truth, one thinks this way and another thinks that way, the Holy Spirit laid this in his heart, the Holy Spirit laid that in another one's heart, and the truth can't make them capable of being sanctified and practicing righteousness. So we need to define with this that we have come and were born from the seed of the word of truth. Second, where is this holiness located? We begin to look at it. We don't need to look at it with... Um, it, it shines. We turn off the light, and yet it still shines. Second, the holiness of God demonstrated in the function of the covenant of salt is defined in our heart in the protection of the sovereign rights and interests of God from the unlawful encroachment of our flesh and our intellect. So the holiness of God in me, it protects... It protects God from my intellect and from the encroachments of my uncrucified flesh, just as King King Isaiah had done. But not having been a priest, he was... He was punished. Third, the holiness of God in the function of the covenant of salt is defined in our heart as the exalting of God in His holiness above all other gods. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? The holiness of a person manifested in the functions of the covenant of salt in an atmosphere of brotherly love is determined by his priority in listening to the preached word. There shall be no foreign god among you, nor shall you worship any foreign god. For God to be exalted i must not have any foreign god or worship any foreign gods this holiness is presented now this holiness i in relations with god offer fourth the holiness of god in the selective love of god is defined in our heart in the presence of an unchanging nature of the holy laws of god his commandments and his statutes when the holiness of god is present and when it is sent to us it is it is defined by the presence of the holy laws and his holy commandments scripture says that the law is holy the commandment is holy romans 7 12 therefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good if i know it is good now it must be manifested in me i know it is good it is just and holy but the holiness of a person in relation to god is defined in the readiness to listen to the holy word and the holy laws and then the holy commandments of god with the readiness of their immediate fulfillment luke 8 18 therefore take heed how you hear Whoever has to him, more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he seems to have will be taken from him. Fifth, we are continuing to talk about how to define holiness. That begins to illuminate in us. Let us define it. It is that holiness that discovers itself. Where in the covenant of blood? No, in the covenant of salt. In the covenant of salt, it is that holiness that we begin to discover and see in ourselves. 
and the, and the covenant of blood is the blood of Christ, His holiness, or in the covenant of salt, God says, let us continue to manifest holiness that you saw in the covenant of blood. You must cooperate with me. And so fifth, where we cooperate and define it. The holiness of God in the selective love of God is defined in our heart in the exaltation of the justice of God, which reveals itself in the manifestation of righteousness. Isaiah 5, 15 through 16. People shall be brought down, each man shall be humbled, and the eyes of the lofty shall be humbled. But the Lord of hosts shall be exalted in judgment, and God who is holy shall be hallowed in righteousness. God will demonstrate His holiness in righteousness, but this is written in Isaiah. How do we make it so it's not just Isaiah's words, or not just a state that Isaiah has, but also I have? Furthermore, the holiness of a person manifested in the functions of the covenant of salt is determined in our heart in the manifestation of admiration and humility before the will of God. James 4.10 Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. So in order for God to be able to be lifted up in judgment, I begin to humble myself before the Lord. And again, we are talking about how God begins to shine in us with His holiness. He says, I am a holy God. I must be exalted in judgment. Lord, how do I do this? So that in the covenant of salt, I can begin to manifest it. He says, humble yourself before me and lift me up in righteousness and judgment. And there will come a time when I will lift you up. Sixth, we are defining the holiness of God. The holiness of God in the selective love of God is defined in our heart, in the guiding light that separates the light from darkness. Genesis 1, 3-5, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. How do we make it so that this happens in us, and to see if we have this light or day? The holiness of a person manifested in the functions of the covenant of salt is determined in the correct relationship between the rational capabilities of our wise heart, which determines the divine darkness, and our renewed thinking, which determines the divine light. Psalms 19, 1-3 The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. Heavens declare the glory of God. When do they declare the glory of God? They declare it on Friday, Sunday, on Tuesday. Preachers read the revelations of God. This is that time when the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. And then what happens? Night unto night reveals knowledge. We place this knowledge in our spirit and day unto day utters speech. The rational sphere of our spirit cooperates with the rational capabilities of our soul and gives her prayer words with what words are necessary to pray. Our spirit passes along to our soul and then our soul passes along to our meek lips how we must address the majesty. Seventh, the holiness of God in the selected love of God is defined in our heart in righteousness and holiness of truth. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and renew your thinking in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which is created according to God, into your righteousness and holiness of truth. The holiness of a person in relations with God is determined in our heart in the manifestation of the period of the truth that dwells in our heart. Deuteronomy 23, 14 is verification. How we cooperate 
in order to destroy the old man. We renew our thinking and we be clothed into the new man. For the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and give your enemies over to you. Therefore your camp shall be holy, that he may see no unclean thing among you and turn away from you. So for this it is necessary for us to cooperate with the truth of God. Why? Because as the Apostle had written here, that we are going to be clothed into the new man, and the new man is created according to God, or is formed according to God. How? In righteousness and holiness of truth. The truth of holiness and the truth of righteousness. This truth, it forms us, it formulates, and it builds it is the wisdom that builds our innermost man. When we go into the tabernacle, what do we find? There was a certain form created, and these were made out of gold, and they had filled a certain form. Other items did not need to be laid with gold. They needed to be hit with a hammer in order to give them a divine order. Some are poured, and others are hit with a hammer. Thus, the image of Christ is formed. It is that word through which we hear the preached word. It is it that forms us. We either pour ourselves into this word or this word corrects us. These two are necessary. When it is formed into you, this is very pleasant. How wonderful it is. Everything is shining. And then all of a sudden, this hammer begins to hit us and give it different forms, give it more of a perfect form. Here, this word becomes painful for us. And this is very good. We find lots of hammer work done in the tabernacle. We must agree with how God wants to cooperate with us, how we are formed through the truth of righteousness and holiness. Now imagine those that don't hear the truth, and as Pastor says, they hear the distorted truth, the truth that is not intact. There is the distorted and the blemished truth. Can you imagine how their spirit looks like? How their preachers hammer and give their spirit a form. In the National Geographic, there is a beautiful channel where it talks about different countries, Africa, for example, how they consider, what they consider a beautiful person. The more royal, royal persona someone can, can, can show, or like, for example, a long ears, they they extend his ears or they extend his neck, they extend his arms, and the more they form a person, then for them this is more of a royal figure that can represent and speak with other spirits that they worship. Imagine. People don't even know if you go into some kind of church for some time, if we were to be able to just in one second to see who is sitting in the service, to see all his inner essence. Do you know that we'd come to shock and horror? How much, um, how much horror we would see, how religious had destroyed the inner man. And each of us will be clothed in our inner essence. We right now are clothed into the new man, but they will also be clothed. All those that had allowed them to be formed, they are going to also be clothed in what they have been formed and, and hammered with. And they're always going to look at the mirror and they're going to look at their at their disfigured face, their disfigured form. It's very important who we listen to. People say, well, my friends are there. We go fishing together. Well, what what's fishing? What friends? Let's think about eternity because we're talking about the church here. We need to have the correct church. 
And so the second question, what purpose is the holiness of God's love called to fulfill? We talked about certain purposes, and now let's remember some of their parameters in summary, and we will continue to review the rest. The seven purposes of the holiness of God. First, we talked about that the purpose of holiness and the love of God is called to give a holy person the legal right to see God with his own eyes. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Therefore, when Christ in his Sermon on the Mount says that people who are pure in heart will see God, Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. He means that for the opportunity to have a pure heart, these people paid the price demanded by Scripture in the manifestation of peace and holiness, for which there is never and under no circumstances a price reduction. And the cost or condition for the opportunity to have a pure heart for these people, it was a necessity by the cross of the Lord Jesus to die to their people, to their father's house, and to the corrupt lusts of their soul, which gave them the opportunity to separate from the disorderly and wicked people in order to reveal the functions of the covenant of rest needed to cooperate with the holiness of God. The soil of a pure heart defines the kindness of a good and wise heart, which has the ability to accept the wisdom of God in the seed of the preached word about the kingdom of heaven by inclining our heart's ear to listen to the word of God in order to grow it into the tree of life which grows the fruit of righteousness. Take a look at how beautifully this is written. We need to see God. Holiness will allow us to see God. How? Holiness. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. The purity of the heart is a heart that is cleansed of dead works. Question. Why do we cleanse our heart? Pastor says here, in order for us to be able to accept the wisdom of God in the format of the teaching, in the format of the truth. And when we accept the truth in the format of the teaching, and an intact truth, then we have the opportunity to grow to grow the tree of life that is going to bring fruit. And this fruit is going to show us the holiness of God, but only within ourselves. We won't need to look at heaven and wait for God to show His face from there. When we say, Lord, show us your countenance, He will show His countenance in heaven only for those that are going to see them within themselves, that He wants to show His face and Himself, as we had heard in our thinking, in our decision, in our garments, and in other parameters. God wants to show Himself. If we see Him in ourselves on earth, then He will show us His countenance in heaven. Second, the purpose of holiness and God's love is called to serve for a person who has made a covenant of peace with God as a sworn promise of God that He will fulfill all that He has promised. And so the purpose is to receive the sworn promise from God that He will fulfill all that He has promised. Psalms 89.35 Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. Note, when making a covenant of peace with man, God swears by His supreme property, which is His holiness. Just like people in certification of any dispute swear by the Supreme. As we had said, I will swear to my mom, I swear to my earth, my land, whatever a man is dependent on, whatever he values most, that he swears by. God swears by his holiness. 
Hebrews chapter 6, verses 16 through 20. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, in which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. These two immutable things that is written about in the book of Hebrews, they identify the immutability of divine holiness, which God has sworn to. These are the blood of the cross of Christ brought before the face of God into the sanctuary of our heart, and the broken body of Christ brought into the sanctuary of our heart on the golden table of bread offering. So these things had entered behind the veil. And scripture says that they go before us. Christ entered in before us. There is our promise for example, The Lord is coming. That's a promise. The Lord will rapture his church. That's a promise. The Lord will give a promise at the door of hope where the bodies of saints are going to be adopted. And in order to receive this promise, God needed to go there where this promise laid before us, and not just enter, but to enter with his broken body, his dead body, and with his spilled blood, to go in before us, where all of our treasures, treasurable promises are, are placed, including the promise regarding the door of our hope. He came there with his body and his blood, and he said, Do you think that I will lie? How else can I swear to you by? That which I have spoken in my word, I will fulfill if a person cooperates with my holiness. God has swore by his holiness in the format of the blood and the flesh of the Son of God. Third, the purpose of holiness and God's love is called to give us the right to power, to give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and lives forever and ever. Revelation chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they did not rest day or night, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him, who lives forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. And therefore, for us is an image of the 24 elders. And let us take a look and see this image within ourselves. Very important. Because if we talk about holiness, that is, we must see the function of the 24 elders and four creatures within us. And so the image of the 24 elders, we see the power of wisdom in passing a just judgment which the remnant chosen by God in the face of the wife of the bride of the Lamb is endowed with, while the image of the four cherubim is the power that the wife of the bride of the Lamb is endowed with. If there was the power of wisdom, 
In carrying out a decree, then the four cherubim show the power that the wife of the bride of the Lamb is endowed with. This is shown in carrying out the judgment of the judgment passed by the 24 elders. Lacking salt in us, in the dignity of holiness that determines the holy love of God, we can never give God a foundation to empower us with the authority of His holiness, both for passing judgment on the wicked and lawless people and fallen angels, and for bringing this judgment to execution. So here we see about how these functions must be present in us. And of course, if in the future we bring this judgment into fulfillment and we carry out this decree, we need to use these decrees today. If the elders are the legislatures of authority, then the four creatures are the fulfillers of this authority, of God's divine order. If the legislative power says, you have the right to have a relationship with the wicked and lawless people, and I'm told, well, take a look here. This is, write a contract, sign a contract, go have coffee together. Then the four living creatures come into power that give power to bring that which the elders have done, the legislatures, they say, you will not go, you must depart from communication with these people, and God will be able to perhaps bless you in a different way. So an easy example in life where we, where we demonstrate the functions of the 24 elders and the four living creatures again the 24 elders is the power of wisdom in carrying out a decree and the four creatures bring it into fulfillment this is the power that the bright wife of the bride of the lamb is endowed with fourth the purpose of the property of holiness in relations with God and one another, is called to give God the basis to walk among His people in order to give us the powers of His holiness from foreign people. And for the achievement of this goal, two sides are called to participate, God and man, where each of the sides is called to fulfill their role established by God for himself, as well as man who has entered into a covenant to peace with God, which places a responsibility on man in three things. First, our camp must be holy. This is our responsibility so that God can de de define His holiness in us. First, our camp again must be holy so that He may see no unclean thing among us and turn away from us. Second, we must honor the Sabbaths of the Lord so that in this manner we could affirm the covenant of peace which we have stepped into with God. And third, it is necessary for us to honor the sanctuary of our God with tithes and offerings according to the requirements of His statutes. And so, let us offer two examples where it is specifically God who tells us that I will walk among your camp. God walks there where there is holiness. And these three components are going to be present in these places and in all these places. We are going to talk about how God is going to walk among us when we have these components. Deuteronomy 23, 9-14 When the army goes out against your enemies, then keep yourself from every wicked thing. If there is any man among you who becomes unclean by some occurrence in the night, then he shall go outside the camp. He shall not come inside the camp, but it shall be when evening comes that he shall wash with water, and when the sun sets he may come into the camp. Also you shall have a place outside the camp where you may go out, and you shall have 
and an implement among your equipment. And when you sit down outside, you shall dig with it and turn and cover your refuse. For the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and give your enemies over to you. Again, if he walks among our camp, no one wants to step on that. God has, God has a sense of humor. He gave us also with these senses of humor. Who wants to step on this? We go, a dog came and we step on his refuse. And the owner didn't want to pick it up, as they do with great joy. They gather this in a bag. How shameful. I'm always so intrigued. How horrible is this to pick up after a dog? And one other place of scripture. How interesting Americans can sometimes behave with their animals. There where there is communion and the breaking of bread and where wine is drinking, all these animals and dogs must not be present in, near the house of God. They must not be present in the house. Even a house that has this scent, there must not be the communion that is that is that is conducted there. Leviticus twenty-six two through twelve, another place that talks about how God will walk among His people. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, then I will give you rain in its season. The land shall yield its produce, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. You shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. I will give peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and none will make you afraid. I will rid the land of evil beasts, and the sword will not go through your land. You will chase your enemies, and they shall fall by the sword before you. For I will look on you favorably and make you fruitful, multiply you, and confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat the old harvest and clear out the old because of the new. I will set my tabernacle among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. Therefore, we read two places of scripture. What is the image of our camp? The image of our camp is our congregation, which we must not leave, so that we have the opportunity to cleanse ourselves from every sin and restore our broken relationships with God. And so the first requirement, there were three. Let us again very quickly read through them. The first requirement that God does not see an unclean thing among us and turn away from us is comprised of washing our body with water outside of the camp at night and bury our refuse in the ground so that God could not see our refuse and turn away from us. In the image of the, of the laws, all that comes from the body of a person is impure, including sweat and other expirations. Under what occurred at night, which was considered in the images of the law as evil, was a spontaneous eruption of semen during the sleep, which a person could not control. These are our words that come from the source of evil. Under the image of refuse, which had to be buried in the ground with a shovel, we should consider any deed that is good in our opinion, which comes from the motives from the flesh. 
The place chosen outside of the camp for washing uncleanness and for bearing refuse is the image of Calvary, on which the Son of God was crucified for our sins. So he went out outside of the camp, and outside of the camp, he took all of this, all these transgressions and iniquity outside of the camp. And this is a very important requirement. Therefore, sometimes saints say, can you imagine how dangerous it was to walk outside the camp? No, they always walked around the wilderness and they held a large territory. They constantly moved around because there was a large area and they always moved around. Therefore, everything with their hygiene was fine. The second requirement is comprised of honoring the Sabbaths of the Lord in order to affirm the covenant of peace that we made with God upon the sacrifice of His Son. To honor the Lord's Sabbath is to not ignite a light in our homes and not do any work. And Pastor had explained this on Sunday, that to not light in our homes is to not come to our intellect or to the rational capabilities that have not gone through death and to not do any work. This is not just to do work that comes from the flesh, but to know that all the work has been done by God. He has done all of the work. Our work is not work, but this is our cooperation. We cooperation with His work, with His efforts. When we work or to leave any work, this is to, to leave anything that is not dependent on Him. He wants us to collaborate. We must not do any work, but we must collaborate because He has done the whole work. And now our faith co cooperates, collaborates. When a person collaborates with the faith of God, he tries to feel, uh, when a person tries to do his own work, he tries to feel himself holy or righteous. And the third requirement is comprised of honoring the sanctuary of our God in the face of our congregation with tithes and offerings in accordance with the requirements of His statutes. It is the fulfillment of these three requirements elevated to the rigorous and unchanging law of God is, on our part, the fruit of holiness without which no one or none of us can see the Lord or inherit salvation. And there was a certain reward here included also. If we have these three requirements, first God will walk among our camp in order to deliver us and deliver our enemies into our hands. Second, God is going to give rains to our land in their times. Third, God will give us the opportunity and ability to eat our bread and live safely on our land. Fourth, God will send peace to our land. We will lie down and no one will make us afraid because he will drive the evil beasts out from our land. The sword will not go through our land and our enemies will fall before us by the sword. Fifth, God will look favorable on us, make us fruitful, multiply us. God will be firm in his covenant with us and will set his tabernacle among us and his soul will not abhor us. And seventh, God will walk among us and be our God and we will be his people. Take a look at how much God offers us and he says, do these three things, demonstrate holiness and take a look at all the blessings, the more, that, more than we had done for him. It's difficult to even imagine this, how much more he gives us. The fifth purpose of the property of holiness in relations with God and with one another is called to discover in our heart disobedience to God. Take a look in our heart. It is called to 
to discover disobedience, not in someone else's heart, but disobedience in our heart. Sometimes this is necessary to discover it through the holiness of God, which will be expressed in our disobedience to the delegated authority of God in our churches. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7-8 through 8, For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. Out of the places and statements that define the purpose of holiness and God's love, it follows that be it an individual person, a separate assembly, or a separate religious movement, if they did not put themselves in the desired and voluntary dependence on the structure of divine theocracy, which determines the atmosphere of the kingdom of heaven and the body of Christ, and they oppose this order, then from this it follows that this person, such a meeting, and such a religious movement, by strengthening and establishing their own righteousness, which they consider in works of their own virtue, rejected the righteousness of faith that determines the order of God and remain in uncleanness and do not submit to God. And on the one hand, to help us to complete our calling to the kind of holiness that God possesses and through which He promised to lead us under His rod to bring us into the bonds of the Holy Covenant. And on the other hand, having led us under the bonds of His Holy Covenant, God promised to select from our midst rebels and those who disobey Him in order to bring them out of the land of their residence, but not to allow them to enter the land of Israel. Take a look at how the or what the order of God is called to do. It is called to lead us under the rod, to lead us, pass us under the rod, here is the rod that we are reading. This is the rod, that which we hear. This is the rod to pass us under the rod in the order of God. For what? In order to lead us into the bonds of the covenant. For what? In order to deliver us from the, the rebellion, for them, from those that rebel. And this is done through the preached word of the anointed man of God who is clothed in the powers of the fatherhood of God. These are the bonds of the covenant. Let us take a look at how this occurs. Ezekiel 20, 37 through 38. I will make you pass under the rod. We are reading notes. What are we doing? We are passing under the rod. I will pa make you pass under the rod and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. I will purge the rebels from among you and those who transgress against me. I will bring them out of the country where they dwell, but they shall not enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Under the bonds of the Holy Covenant, want you to consider the consecration of the members of his earthly body into slaves of righteousness. So, the bonds of the covenant. What are bonds of the covenant? Bonds of the covenant is, I lay bonds upon myself. What, did, what I did before, I no longer do, because I am found in the bonds of the covenant. My members of my earthly body give themselves up to servants of righteousness. What are servants of righteousness? My body has been clothed in bonds of righteousness. Now I can't do what I have done before. Someone had placed these bonds on me. This is what these notes, this word of God that we hear, this word preached, these are the bonds. These are the bonds that make us servants of Jesus Christ. Our body becomes a servant, a member of righteousness when we are clothed in the bonds. And they hold us, and again, in servitude to Christ, only through the presence of a rod. First, now let us take a look at this kind of earth that is present here. We talked about, we know that we enter into the bonds of the covenant through this preached word, and it is expressed in that we 
are the members of our body are now members of righteousness because I have passed under the rod, the preached word of God. And now God turns to our earth. He says the following, first, next definition, firstly, under the kind of earth in which there are rebels and rebellious ones, the assembly of saints should be considered in the form of a field in which wheat grows along with the tares. Secondly, under the kind of earth in which there are rebels and rebellious, the image of their earthly body in which sin reigns is seen as their husband defining the essence of their old man. Under the land of Israel, into which God will lead the saints who obey the ordinances of the covenant, one should consider the endowment of their earthly body with pearls of incorruptibility. And under the kind of earth where the rebels and rebellious will stay when they are gathered and tied in bundles, is visible the image of the synagogues of Satan, consisting of religious confessions, which in their totality represent a wife sitting on a scarlet beast. When it is said that God will bring the rebels and the rebellious people out of the congregations in which they were dwelling, but will not bring them into the land of Israel, it means that rebels and rebellious ones are tares that will be chosen from the congregation in which they dwelt and bound in bundles of of satanic synagogues. It follows from this concept that the purpose of holiness and the love of God is precisely to collect the tears in the face of rebels and rebellious ones and separate them from the wheat, tying them in bundles so that they can begin to harvest wheat. Matthew chapter 13, verses 27 through 30. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tears? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tears, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let them grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, First, gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Again, those reapers are those saints who have this rod, this rod of the bonds, the bonds of the covenant, because God says, I will pass you under the rod to lead you into the bonds of the covenant. He says, I will tell my reapers, through this rod, they will momentarily, through the through the sermon of truth will be able to divide the obedient from the disobedient. And again, he says, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles through your sermons to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. This is what the anointed men of God are called to do. This is referring to them. Summing up this component to follow that the purpose of the holiness of God and demonstrating the holy love of God in the relationship of brotherly love is always the action of an illuminating process in which God purifies and separates the clean from unclean and the holy from the unholy in order to bind some of them into bundles of satanic synagogues and make others ready for the clothing of their bodies into imperishability. A very interesting component that we have just read, how God does this. Sixth, the purpose of the property of holiness in relations with God and with one another is called to guarantee our salvation along with our households.
First Timothy chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. As Pastor said, she had lost the simplicity of Christ. She had lost the property of a dove. And what is it said of a dove? She dwells in the clefts of the rock and the secret places of the cliff. And when she left under this cleft of the rock and the secret places of the cliff and she began to have a dialogue with the enemy, then having exited out of this protection, and devil just needs to know one thing, that you have exited out of the protection. And now he says to Eve, God is lying. She says, not true. He knows that when you eat from the this fruit, you will become like him. And her eyes were opened. She looked at the tree. She looked that it was wonderful, that it was wonderful to the eyes. It gives knowledge. And she went and ate of it. Why did devil all of a sudden begin to go against God? He understands spiritual principles that just as soon as a person exits under the cleft of the rock, you can tell him lies directly against your father, and he is going to agree with it. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control or modesty. The phrase, nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing means, nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if she continues in faith, love, holiness, and modesty or chastity. If the salt of the covenant, discovering itself in the temple of our body, in the fruit of holiness, will lack in the demonstration of our faith in the atmosphere of brotherly love, then all of the above listed virtues will lose their significance. Again, we're looking at modesty here specifically. What are all the children of God that hold on to the promise you and your household shall be saved, shall have? This is modesty. Modesty is prudence, restraint, restrained language, common sense, discretion of Christ. The self-control of Christ, modesty, faithfulness manifested in the patience of Christ, obedience to God in the words of His messenger, awe, reverence, and prudency. And at the same time, speaking about the property of prudency, we are talking not about a complex, but about a noble or pious prudency, which does not allow a person to do anything shameful in his thoughts, words, actions, and clothes that attract the low instincts of the opposite sex. Timothy Chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith. Usually, people, when they talk about modesty, they think about younger people. But let us read again. That the older men be sober, so that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, which could also mean modest, so that the older men can be modest. Sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older woman, likewise, again, so that the older woman be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not given to much wine, teachers of good things that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, discreet, chaste, modesty. Again, how much modesty we're talking about here. Three times already we mentioned it. Homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. 
Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded, again, modest also, in all things showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, good works, and doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that the one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Based from um, the above, so that in cooperation with the fruit of holiness we have grown with the holiness of God, we could give God a foundation to separate us from the sons of perdition, so that we can inherit salvation with our children through our stay in faith and love and in holiness with modesty. It is necessary, through instruction in faith, to allow the truth of the word and the power of the Holy Spirit by the cross of the Lord Jesus to separate us from our people, from the house of our Father, and from the corrupt lusts of our soul, which in their totality are our genetic heritage, passed on to us with the vain seed of our fathers in the flesh. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18-25 through 25. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was, a fore, was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. At the same time, we should accept the salvation of our home in the face of the children we have born, not in the behavior of our children to the truth, but in accordance with the information we have received contained in the faith of God, who God is for our home in Christ Jesus, what God has done for our home in Christ Jesus, and who is our home for God in Christ Jesus. I want to again read this phrase one more time, very unique. All parents, we have today moms and dads and future moms and dads, all parents. Again, we oftentimes hear about the promise, you and your household shall be saved. How can we judge of it? Because you, if when you have children or if you have children, where is your daughter? You probably are holding on to the promise, you and your household shall be saved very, very, very loosely. Take a look at how wonderful this is written. At the same time, we should accept the salvation of our home in the face of the children we have born, not in the behavior of our children to the truth, because they might be found somewhere far off. And the father, when he had waited for the son to come back home, he continued to hold on to this promise, and he was not based on the behavior of his child to the truth. He knew that his son had left, but how did he hold on to the promise? And God, interestingly, when we hold on to the salvation of our children, He's not based on the behavior of our children to the truth. Later this will come into play, but we define not in the behavior of our children to the truth, but in accordance with the information we have received. The information we have received contained in the faith of God, how we have accepted the information that is contained in the faith of God, who God is for our home in Christ Jesus, what God has done for our home in Christ Jesus, and who is our home for God in Christ Jesus. So these prayer words is that word, tell me how, how do I hold on to the promise you and your household shall be saved? Who 
God is from my home in Christ Jesus. What God has done for my home in Christ Jesus and who is my home for God in Christ Jesus. This is how we must hold on to the promise. And we don't need to be sorrowful that our children are not holding on to the truth as we might want to. We must hold on to this promise and call the inexistent in the physical world as existent in the spiritual one. Through proclamation, when we correctly place our home in Christ Jesus, this means to hold on to the promise you and your household shall be saved. To summarize, in the cooperation of our holiness with the holiness of God in the atmosphere of brotherly love, it follows that if we, through instruction in faith, are not separated by the holiness of God contained in the blood of the cross of Christ from the destructive seed inherited by us from the vain life of the fathers, then this will mean only one thing, that we did not cultivate the fruit of holiness for cooperation with the holiness of God. Because of this, our names will be blotted out of the book of life, and we, together with our children, will lose our salvation. So take a look here. It is important for us to cooperate with the holiness of God that is found in the blood of Jesus Christ. I really liked this. This phrase I really liked. And if someone asks you, how do you hold on to this promise? How do you pray? I say, you must pray about who our home is in Christ Jesus, what God has done for our home in Christ Jesus, and how we must place ourselves in Christ Jesus in our home to continually do this through our proclamations. And the seventh component in the purpose of holiness in relations with God and with one another is it is called to, in the last days, to bring the army of Gog into the land of Israel, to show them the holiness of the Lord in the fulfillment of the decree of judgment because he set out to settle his scores with the land of Israel. Very unique. Right now the enemy is listening. He says, you want to say that God will bring me to Armageddon where I am going to kill Jews so that he can count scores with me? Yes, God will bring the Antichrist into Armageddon in the valley of Jezreel of Jehoshaphat where he is going to kill Jews. But this is God that is going to lead him there. And he's, he will lead them there to demonstrate his whole anger and holiness over him. The Antichrist doesn't believe in that part. But God, when he settles scores, he kills two birds with one stone. Ezekiel chapter 38, verses 1 through 16. I will read selectively. Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to Gog, Thus says the Lord God, On that day when my people Israel dwell safely, will you not know it? Then you will come from your place out of far north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great company and a mighty army. You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. It will be in the latter days that I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me when I am hallowed in you, O Gog, before their eyes. The demonic prince who took the name Gog, one of the princely sons of Reuben, 
the patriarch, under whose rule Meshech and Tubal are, personifies the pagan godless world power called the European Union, the image of the former Roman Empire during which time Christ was crucified. We're talking about geography, where it is located in the physical geography. To execute judgment on the mountains of Israel, it is there, he says, I will lead you on the mountain of Israel, which were before inhabited, but when I will bring you, all these mountains will be filled with promises. To execute judgment on the mountains of Israel is to deprive the enemy of the dignity that lies in the names they have seed under which the promise is hidden in our hearts and the dignity of our sons should be considered. And Psalms 127, 3-5, under sons are promises, under the mountains are promises. I will bring you in the army to the, the time at which you will come. All of these promises are going to be raptured by the saints. And I, through saints, will conduct the final destruction over you. Psalms 127, 3 through 5. In these mountains we see our sons and our promises. Psalms 127, 3 through 5. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. This will happen in the land of Israel. And of course, this also happens within us today. Of course, before literal events take place, which marks the beginning on earth of the millennial kingdom of Christ and the remnant chosen by Him, this event must take place on the mountains of Israel in the temple of our body, which should be understood in the birth of Methuselah. We should know that all of the judgments that God will perform in commemoration of the Millennial Kingdom and in commemoration of the new heaven and new earth are called to be carried out through revelation, which will be clearly written by us on the tablets of our hearts in anticipation of existing events. Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 through 3. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on the tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. So this promise was necessary to clearly engrave in our heart. God wants the hills or the mountains of God to be filled so that saints can fill their sons, their quivers, so that they can carry to overcome their enemies. And God will create this uh, victory over this demonic prince. As Pastor had said here, first, we must uh, encounter this Armageddon in ourselves. This victory must happen inside of us. Armageddon must happen inside of us. And when it happens inside of us, then God, along with Christ and through these saints, is going to conduct the final destruction of the Antichrist and his army then in the future. And I remember a pastor was talking about Gideon revealing our innermost man in him. He said that when Gideon had blew the trumpet and destroyed the altar and Israel had come to him, then the enemies, the Midianites, the people of the east and the Amalekites, they had gathered in the Valley of Jezreel. The Valley of Jezreel is Armageddon. 
devil understands. You have received a revelation of this promise. He doesn't need a uh, a battle. He needs a war. And this is going to be the last war uh, battle. He doesn't need war. He needs a battle. And Jezreel is going to mean God will demonstrate His holiness or God will show His salt. The valley where the salt of holiness is present. Jezreel means God will sow with salt. So this land of Jezreel means God will sow with salt. God will demonstrate His holiness. This means that the enemy understands. He leads us to holiness. He says, good, you want to to, to have war? Go into final battle. And he thinks that he is going to overcome us. And Pastor shows this valley of Jezreel. He had, and this valley had lots of victories and lots of, um, lots of destruction. When Joshua came, he had conducted a great victory here in the valley of Jezreel. Deborah and Barak, they had a victory in the Valley of Jezreel. It was called the Valley of Jehoshaphat. When Jehoshaphat placed the priest, they began to thank God and cry out to God. And God had conducted a great, great victory here. Devil knows that there were two destructions happened there. Saul was killed there. This Valley of Jezreel is needed to destroy, and this does happen. Therefore, we must understand that we need, before we are called out to the valley of Jezreel, for Saul to die, for the substance of the rational sphere of our soul to go through death, because Saul fell in the valley of Jezreel, a place that is sown with salt. And the second was the King Uzziah, who had trusted on his own dignities and virtues, that which he had done for God, and stopped looking at what God did for him, done for him who he is in Christ, what God has done for him, and who he is for God. He had looked at his works. And when Nico, the king, went out to war, and this godly king came out, and Nico said, God has sent me, but you go. He says, well, how can my God speak with you? He says, look at my achievements, what I have done for God. And as soon as he looked, what, uh, he looked at his own achievements, he was killed so easily, and he had died in the valley of Jezreel. And that's why the enemy knows. The enemy knows that he has overcome. He understands that as soon as we accept the promise, he has no other chance. He's going to use the valley of Jezreel. But we have overcome there in Christ Jesus. Therefore, when God comes with His army, with the church of the firstborn, then He will come with those who have already overcome in this valley of Jezreel. And how foolish it would be to go out against the army of Christ when Christ comes with His army, who has already, over, has already won a contrite victory, a full victory. But He thinks that He is going to win. The enemy does. We will thank God for that word that we had heard and to praise His holy name. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you 
We thank you for the great privilege to be found in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. We thank you, Lord, that we can be found in this place thanks to your mercy. And you have said that mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. And you are going to give your good for our land, and it is going to produce fruit of resurrection. For our land, for our body, to produce this fruit, we ask you to allow truth, the truth abiding in our hearts, to meet with your mercy that dwells in your countenance in heaven. We accept your truth in the format of the preached word so that that justification that we have received through the truth of your word so that it can be clothed, it can be immersed in the death of the Lord Jesus and we can receive, according to your mercy, righteousness, or your holiness, which we are able to demonstrate in the covenant of peace. We thank you, Lord, for your truth, and we ask you for the truth of the intact Word of God to meet with your mercy. We accept that Word that we have heard. We have kept it in our heart. We have renewed our thinking, and we have made it our proclamation so that you can see the truth abiding in our essence and in the temple of our body so that our truth accepted by us, your truth accepted by us in the temple of our body could call upon your mercy so that righteousness and peace could come together. And today, this righteousness that you demonstrate in a covenant of salt, this holiness, it kisses peace and it proclaims proclaims with its lips the peace of God and the righteousness of God, who we are, who our homes are for you, Lord, that we are your children, that we are your holy inheritance, that you have said you are holy and your children are holy, and we thank you for our children who perhaps are not here today, but Lord, you have said for not to be for us to be focused on your word, to be based on your word, we have accepted the promise you and your household will be saved, and we hold on to this promise through the proclamation of the faith of our heart. And we thank you that today, our house, through the proclamation of the truth that we have accepted, placed in our heart, we take and we clothe with your protection and your mercy our house. We thank you for our holy, holy children who are found in Christ Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the wonderful fate that you have prepared for us and for our children. And we, Lord, call the inexistent as existent, thanking you that our children are with us. We thank you for this mercy, and we continue to, to stand upon your mercy, upon your truth, and to affirm. We do not look at the visible, but we look at your word as the invisible. We do not make up these truths. We accept these truths that you offer us. And we place our home in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that salvation that we have received and that we are able to hold on to by dwelling in your faith, by dwelling in your righteousness and holiness with modesty. We thank you for the quality of modesty that today abides 
among saints. And we ask you to allow us to demonstrate modesty in accepting that intact format of the word and in keeping this truth in our heart. Allow your holiness dwelling in us to protect your holiness from it being distorted by our uncrucified soul and our intellect. Allow us through our proclamations to protect your truth to protect the truth, for us to accept that truth that you offer us. And we ask you to allow us today to be formed in this truth. If you will find certain components that are not coinciding, we ask for your hammer to come down, for your hammer to form us into your perfection. You have sent us your word, and we have accepted your word. Your word which you have given for consolation, for clothing in order to instruct us through your word to present us perfect before your holy countenance. We thank you, Lord, for the holiness of the Lord Jesus Christ which we have received in the covenant of blood. We today look at the root and we will always look at the root and we will think you for what you have done for us in your son the lord jesus christ we will thank you for your love you have allowed us to magnify you to exalt you in your holiness holy 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 is the lord god almighty the earth is full of your glory we thank you that you have redeemed us out of every tongue tribe nation and have made us kings and priests and we are going to reign with you on the earth we thank you that today this holiness can be accepted by your people because we discover in our essence the powers of your wisdom in carrying out a decree and in the powers of the power of the Holy Spirit to bring this into fulfillment. Therefore, Lord, we ask you for this truth today that has been carried into our conscience to be able to carry out its decree through proclamations and along with our will to bring this decree into fulfillment. You will accept your praise in your holiness. And we thank you that you have allowed us to be comforted in your Sabbath. We want you to walk in the temple of our body for you to walk in our camp and allow us to prepare our bodies as well as that place in which we gather and that place that your hand has outlined for you to be able to walk in our camp. And we refuse to rely on our intellect. We refuse to rely on our flesh, on our human capabilities. But we, Lord, rely on your mercy, humbling ourselves before your holy countenance so that you can be magnified and uplifted judgment. If you will not be uplifted in judgment in the temple of our body, you have said that when the time comes, you will not magnify us, but when we do magnify you, you will magnify us. And we wait for that moment and we exalt you in the temple of our body, humbling ourselves before you, trembling before your word. 
accepting your word and inclining our ear before hearing your word. And in doing so, we magnify you in your righteousness and in your judgment. We ask you, Lord, for you to affirm, for you to be able to affirm your covenant in in this last week, the week of Daniel. You have told us to pass under the rod, and when your church has passed under the rod of the preached word of truth of God, you have separated your saints from the disobedient and rebellious people. We thank you, Lord, for the powers, for the authority of the word of God that can separate the holy from unholy, the unclean from the unclean. Lord, conduct a separation if you see in me some kind of disobedience or some kind of rebellion, if you see some kind of disagreement in my thoughts with that word that we hear, we ask you, Lord, I ask you with your chosen remnant for you to pass us under the rod of your lips and to lead us into the bonds of the covenant so that our decaying body before it will be clothed in the resurrection of Christ so that it can be clothed in the bonds the bonds of the covenant and become a servant of righteousness we thank you Lord that we become servants of righteousness only when you lead us under the bonds of the preached word you allow us to go under the rod under the rod of the preached word and this word Lord clothes our our perishable bodies in which which still have the law of sin and death and it lays a bonds on that substance that does not coincide with your holiness. We ask you, Lord, for your salt to demonstrate its holiness and to withhold the enemy from his victories, to contain the enemy, and we ask you to give victory along with the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit that you have sent to us. so that he could strengthen us in our weaknesses when we see that enemy that is found in us so that he can strengthen us in our weaknesses and could intercede for us he will do this when we when we accept the truth of your word and we'll see who we are in Christ and who we are outside of Christ and we will see and then the Holy Spirit will strengthen us moving along with us and along with the angels of God and when you see the groanings of your children the Holy Spirit then your promise will come to power and you will fulfill it we thank you 
for your Holy Spirit that today has come to your church in order for the among the called to find the chosen, to find those who will share in one fate with Christ on his throne. And you have placed us today on that place where you are preparing us to meet with you. We thank you for that victory that we have in Christ Jesus. We ask you, Lord, that today you allow us to penetrate and to drink from the well of Bethlehem. We thank you that you have given us this well of Bethlehem where you have contained your revelation of the reigning teaching. And you have given us the power when our innermost man wants to drink drink of your revelation, drink of your promise from that well that this promise is founded, we are ready to go through the valley of Rephaim where our uncruci- army of our uncrucified soul is and we will penetrate through it in order to highlight or to, to dig out from this well the revelation of God and to bring it to our innermost man, to David, so that he and the glory of God can pour it out upon our body, upon our earth, through proclamation, so that your resurrection can reign in our bodies. And for this, we go through the valley of Rephaim, in which we lose our soul, and where our rational capabilities of our soul that have not gone through death, do die, and they are humbled before your holiness. Allow us today in the valley of Jezreel to have complete victory over our enemy, so that when the time comes, the time comes for you to fulfill your written judgment over the prince that is going to come in order to destroy Israel. You are going to use those saints who, in their life, being in their decaying bodies, were able to withhold in the temple of their body full victory in the valley of Jezreel. And we today have this victory in the valley of Jezreel. We today, along with Jehoshaphat, praise you and magnify you, extol you for your power and your might. And we ask you, Lord, for you to cooperate with us, and we are going to cooperate with you. We refuse to do any kind of work. We want to cooperate along with you and to cooperate with your holiness. That's why may you pour out your indignation. May you let your arrows go. May you let your thunders go, your lightning against our enemy. We ask you for the earth to be shaken. We ask you, Lord, to hear our prayer and to incline your heavens, to sit upon cherubims and to fly, for you to stretch out your hand towards us and to take us from many waters and to set us on a broad place in the resurrection of Christ. We thank you for this great hope and this great promise, this trust that abides in us. We truly have known that you answer your anointed one from your heavens, and we ask you to continue to continue to nourish us with your revelation, to nourish us with your latter rains that are going to prepare us to offering fruit, offering fruit from which you will be glorified. 
And therefore, we are ready to prepare ourselves as a dry, weary land in order to accept these latter rains and in order to produce that long-awaited fruit in which we are going to see you and in which we are going to glorify you as your children. May your name be blessed, our Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the hand of the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And we will conclude with our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.